Good morning. Good morning and welcome. If you're gathered with us in our sanctuary this morning, it's good to see your faces, sort of. Uh, just kidding, it is. If you are gathered with us in our gym, it was good to see you as I matriculated through there a few minutes ago. I'm glad that we can all be together this morning. And uh, I know these are new uh, attempts at normal, and we don't exactly know what normal looks like. And I know there's much frustration involved. My glasses have been fogged up all morning, too. So I am, uh, I am enjoying the struggle along with you. But thank you so much. If you're watching from at home, just know that uh, you're not alone. Some of my own family members are at home. Sloan had his tonsils out this week, so Angela and Sloan are at home this morning uh, watching online, and so we are thankful for those opportunities that so many of you can have when uh, the, uh, the, 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 I guess the opportunity or to be indoors for you right now is just not there. Uh, this Sunday morning, uh, we are indoors, of course, for the first time. You will be getting a, a survey in your email at some point this week just to kind of help us figure out exactly how our next steps look. But uh, uh, just know that we want to hear from you. We want to know kind of where you are on these issues. Uh, this year is also a bit of an odd year. The July, the 4th of July is on Saturday. And so do we, do we, as a church, do we sort of honor that today or next week? And so I just figured we might as well just sort of make reference to it both Sundays as we um, celebrate our, um, our independence this, uh, this week. Uh, just know that we will make a little more effort to reference that next Sunday. But uh, it is always appropriate for us to be grateful for the opportunity we have as Americans. Yesterday I had an opportunity to attend a uh, retirement service for one of our church members who spent 20 years in the, uh, in the United States Army. And uh, such a good reminder as I spoke with, uh, with a fellow there just about how, and, and we'll make reference this morning in my sermon to some of the struggles and strife in our country today. And he said, I, I find encouragement because I've not been here forever. He said, and in many, for the things that I've seen, for, for Sunnis and Shia to, to, to argue and to, to battle and to, to fight with one another, he said, the things that we're trying to overcome are minor compared to what so many people across our world are wrestling through. And so this morning as Americans, I know that these are not perfect days and these are challenging days, but I want to remind you that God continues to be in control. He is still on his throne. He has not left. This morning, if you have your Bible, we're going to be in the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, beginning in verse 14. Hebrews, chapter 4, beginning in verse 14. There's only one announcement I want to remind you of this uh, morning. Uh, this evening, we are going to have a, a, an, an effort, an attempt at a socially distanced church-wide fellowship. So we're going to have a, a tailgate out in the parking lot. You bring your own uh, picnic, or if you want to bring a grill, Wyatt will think you're awesome because he thinks that's what everyone should do. And, um, but we're going to try. We're just going to be outdoors and just be totally honest. The reason we're doing that today is because we, we, we weren't sure what an indoor opportunity would look like, and we wanted to make sure that we gave an opportunity for all of our folks to be, be able to come together. And so uh, we will just sort of park out in the parking lot and bring our food and um, and enjoy just being around one another. So I hope that you'll make plans to be here at 6 o'clock this evening for that. All right, hopefully by now you've made it to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, beginning in verse 14. I'm going to ask you to stand with me in honor of God's Word. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. 
Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. Let's pray together. Father God in heaven, you are good, great, awesome, and mighty. You, Lord God, sent Jesus as not only our perfect sacrifice, but our great high priest who has experienced all the full scope of humanity, all of temptation and struggle and trial, Lord God. And in so doing, has come out victorious. And Lord God, because we have a great high priest who has been tempted as we are and yet was without sin, Lord, we know that, Father, when we approach him, we approach one who understands, who has been there, Lord God, and yet, Father God, has overcome on our behalf. I pray, Lord God, today that if we are afraid, Lord God, I pray that if we are in struggle or turmoil or strife, that today we could be reminded and urged that we can cling to our great high priest, the author and the finisher of our faith, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Y'all, I'm so glad to see faces in here, and it really doesn't matter to me too much if we're indoors or outdoors. What I'm thankful for is that when I'm in here preaching, I've got somebody to look at. Do y'all know how many times in the past four or five months I've stood on this platform and I've preached to nothing but those cameras up there? And y'all, today I have faces, and it is so encouraging because those cameras get old, even though we've tried to become somewhat professional in the way we do it. Scott Taylor has done almost all of the recording. He and I have worked diligently to try and create a bit of a chemistry so that that, uh, you know, I could, I, I, he, he's following me and I'm trying to follow him with the cameras. Well, this morning, I don't care what he does with that camera because I got people to look at and I'm so encouraged by that. Um, uh, you know, as, as a father, there's very little that's more encouraging to me and more satisfying than, than being able to comfort my kids. I, I never want my kids to be scared. And when they are afraid and they run to me and I can ease their fear, I really just feel like a hero. That is perhaps the most uh, satisfying feeling for me as a dad. It seems that comforting afraid kids is just what a dad should do. That's one of the reasons I love The Lion King. Now, the original one, not the new one. It was terrible. If you haven't watched it, don't waste your money. Uh, but my favorite scene is when Simba goes to the elephant graveyard. Do you remember this? So little baby Simba, he's running off, and he's trying to impress his little girlfriend. And so he says, I can be brave and bold. And they run off to the elephant graveyard. And there, and when they get to the elephant graveyard, they're confronted by the hyenas. And for just a brief moment, Simba, little bitty baby Simba, believes that he can show just how bold and strong he is. But quickly, he realizes that he's way in over his head. And for us, as we're viewing it, we know that the odds are stacked against him. There is no hope the, the hyenas are scary and Simba is terrified he's backed into a corner but there's something that we cannot see what we do not see is that Simba's not alone his father Mufasa arrives just in time to save the day y'all remember that that is my absolute favorite scene from the Lion King you remember, Mufasa comes in behind Simba. Simba doesn't even know he's there. The first person, the first characters, I should say, not people, to see Mufasa is not Simba. The first characters to see him are the hyenas who are threatening his son. And you know, there's just this part of you that as a dad, even though it's a cartoon, you're just like, yes, that's where I want to be. That's me. That's my goal in life to protect my children, to, to ease their fears and to bring them comfort. Y'all, I want you to know that we can often, even as adults, be afraid. Things in life can scare us. 
Now, we're looking around right now, and there's much in the world right now that creates a, a sense of unease and unrest. Whether it be pandemics, whether it be uh, riots all over the world. I mean, and, and, and y'all, we, we, we can't even get out of 2020 without us experiencing, experiencing a Saharan sandstorm right here in South Carolina. It's amazing, isn't it? I, if I didn't know better, I would swear that maybe God was trying to get our attention. Maybe, just maybe, the Lord is saying, I need you to look. But what do we do when we are afraid? I, I believe that when we get to Hebrews chapter 4 in, the, in the, the, the final verses of this chapter, that one of the things that the writer of the Hebrews is doing, maybe the biggest thing that he's doing, is he's speaking to a persecuted group of believers, and he's telling them, when you are afraid, these are the things that you should do. These are the steps that you can take when it seems as though all hell is rising against you, all the world is against you. When you feel like you're on an island, you're all alone, he says these are the steps to take. The first thing he says is look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Consider this high priest. He is able to sympathize with us in our weakness. He was tempted in every way but was without sin. Now it's common for us to desire to spend time with people who are like us especially people who've experienced similar things as us. I told you that just last night I was at a, re a retirement ceremony and Wyatt was with me. We, we were seated at a table uh, with a couple of other Army officers and uh, at, at times we were completely excluded from the conversation. But we were excluded from the conversation not because anybody was being rude, but because the two men that were sitting at our table had shared experiences that we just couldn't enter into. They had visited some of the same places. Some of those places were fun places, like Tombstone, Arizona. Some of those places were not such fun places where they had visited overseas in a war zone. But there was a common interest, a common shared conversation among them. We like to be with people who are like us. We like to have conversations with people who have experienced similar things to us. And so the writer of the Hebrews, when he says, look to Jesus, what he wants those people to whom he's writing to understand is that Jesus is like them. Now, now obviously, we recognize that Jesus is not like us all at the same time. This is the, the dual nature of Jesus, that he is fully God and fully man. And so there, there's... there's often, especially in the ancient world, a, a, a temptation to sort of overemphasize the divine nature of Jesus and to de-emphasize the human nature of Jesus. Now, in our world today, we got to be careful because I, I believe it's just the opposite. Usually, I see more of a, uh, a, a, a leaning away from emphasizing the divine, holy, pure nature of Jesus and sort of an overemphasis upon the, the human nature of Jesus. We've got to make sure that there is, that we understand there's no separation between the two. And so he, he says, look to Jesus. But when he's writing to them, it says, look to Jesus. He wants them to be reminded that Jesus understands where they are. I told you that Sloan is at home. He had his tonsils taken out this week, and he's done great. Uh, but, but I'm the only other member of our family that's had his tonsils taken out. And so uh, earlier, in the, I'm going to pick on him, so he'll be mad at me when I get home. But earlier this week, he was, he was hurting. He didn't feel good. And, and, and he, said, he said, you don't understand. It, hurt, it hurts. It hurts. He's not talking real plain right now. And I sat down with him. I said, son, I do understand. I know it hurts. Folks, isn't it encouraging when we sit down with somebody that says, I do understand. I've been where you are. The writer of the Hebrews says Jesus understands. 
He has been where you are. As a pastor, I'm often told, Pastor, you just don't understand. You couldn't understand. You're a preacher. I had somebody say that to me one time. Well, of course you would say that. The church pays you. Of course you'll show up for worship. For the record, that was a very hurtful thing. Can I tell you that even if you don't believe anybody else on planet Earth understands, Jesus understands. Jesus understands. Look to Jesus. He was tempted in every way but was without sin. He knows what you've gone through. He has suffered. He has been tried. He's been through the fire, but he came out victorious. He overcame for you. But because he has been through it, he sympathizes with us. He understands. He cares. It's common for some to assume that God can't understand our situation. Haven't we heard that before? Well, that's all well and good, but God doesn't understand what I've been through. That's the hyper-personalization of our world today. Hyper-individualization, I should say. I am my own person. I am unique, and no one is like me, and no one can understand what I'm going through. Folks, I want you to know that none of us are quite as special as we think we are. None of us are quite as special as we might want to think we are. There are others who understand what we are going through and what we've been through, and nobody better than Jesus Christ. What could God possibly understand about my situation? It's not a new question. It's as old as Christianity, but the writer of the Hebrews was aware of this question, and he dealt with it. You see that? This isn't a new question. Almost 2,000 years ago, the writer of the Hebrews is dealing with the exact same question. He dealt with it. What could Jesus possibly understand? He says everything. We have a great high priest who is not aloof. He is aware of our struggles and trials because he too has been there and yet he has overcome. Look to Jesus. He understands. What else this morning? Second thing, if you're afraid, hold fast to your confession. What is our confession? Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That may be one of our confessions. We may say he is our great high priest. He is our Savior. He's the King. All of those things are encompassed in a confession of faith that Jesus Christ is our Savior. When you consider who Jesus is, when you consider what he has done, you can be encouraged to hold tight to your confession. You can be encouraged to cling tightly to Jesus. The world rages against us. The Hebrews were enduring persecution, but their preacher was urging them to hang on. Hang on. Hold on. When life gets hard, when the way gets scary, when it is difficult, when pandemics rage, when riots scream around us, when our entire country seems on the precipice, hang on. Jesus has not changed. He understands. He cares. He's with you. Hang on, hold fast, don't let go. Does your faith seem feeble? Does your confession seem weak? Hang on, hold fast. It isn't always easy, and the writer of the Hebrews understands that. That's why he urges them to hold on. What is this confession? Folks, we could expand this confession out to make it to to an understanding that the confession is is an absolute confidence that the Word of God is true and right. An absolute assurance that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who was sent to take away the sin of the world. All of those things are encompassed in what our confession of faith is all about. But here there's a reminder from the Hebrews that we need to hold on not just to feelings but to truth. 
Do you understand? What do I do when I don't feel like I'm loved? What do I do when I don't feel like Jesus is enough? What do I do when I don't feel like I cannot be afraid? Hold on to those tangible truths of God's Word. Cling to them. I'll never forget sitting with a man who was, was, was going through an incredible trial. A dear friend of mine. And it literally to him seemed as though the whole world was stacked against him. And y'all, it was bad. And I sat with him. I said, brother, what can I do? And with tears in his eyes, he looked up at me and he said, pray that I do not lose my faith. Because right now it is hard to hold on. Y'all, our feelings are fleeting. This morning I sat in my office. I often uh, just play music on Sunday mornings. And, and uh, an old worship song from my past just sort of came on. And in just a moment, I was ushered back into just an incredible, just, just the presence of God really this morning. Just being reminded of God's provision for us. But I was also reminded that sometimes those feelings can be fleeting. And when I don't feel the presence of God, when I don't feel safe and secure, what do I have to hold on to? There's got to be more than my feelings. My heart is feeble. And y'all, my feelings can go from great to terrible just that fast. And so can yours. Can't we be riding on top of the world and then somebody rear-end us in the parking lot on the way out of the church and all of a sudden I forgot how excited I was to be with God's people and I'm so frustrated that these people of God would pay no attention and would run into me? You imagine how quickly we can go from the top to the bottom? What do I do when I find myself on the bottom and I don't feel like it? I hold on. Hold on to that confession that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. The Lamb of God, even, who takes away the sin of the world. I cling to that great hope that Jesus Christ is enough. Hold fast to our confession. Number three, draw near in prayer. Watch this. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in a time of need. What do I do when I'm afraid? What do I do when I'm afraid? Look to Jesus, hold fast to our confession, and then y'all run to Jesus in prayer. Run, and if you can't run, crawl, and if you can't crawl, then just fall. But find yourself in the presence of the Lord. What do you do when it's hard? You hold on. He's enough. Hold fast. Help is on the way, but cling to Jesus. Draw near in prayer. Where do we run when life stacks up against us, when the wolf growls around us, when everything seems to be falling apart? Draw near to the throne of grace. Look to Jesus. Cling to your confession. And then with confidence, with confidence, run to Jesus. I almost want to jump up. Just see that? I got excited. I miss my fan, though. Can I start bringing my, my fan indoors? Okay. Those of you might not have ever been able to see it on video, but I mean, I've got this fan I've been preaching with, and right now it's been my safety blanket for about four or five weeks. I miss it. What do I do without my safety blanket? Right? What do we do when those things that give us comfort are no longer there? Because usually it's not something as ridiculous as a fan, is it? What do we do when we don't have those things? When I've clung to my confession, when I have looked to Jesus and it still is hard, I run to Jesus in prayer. 
When everything seems to be falling apart, I draw near to the throne of grace. I look to Jesus. I cling to my confession. And then with confidence, I run to Jesus. Confidence. What confidence do I have? This is where that understanding of Jesus as the great high priest comes into play. And this is where we've got to dig into the text just a little bit more. You see, the high priest had one primary role in all of the life of Israel. There were other things that he assumed as his responsibility throughout uh, the age of Israel as a country and even as, 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 as the Jewish religion. But there was one primary responsibility for the high priest. Now, if we look at the two, three, three real um, offices in the Old Testament, we have prophet, priest, and king. Now, we understand what the king was. The king was responsible for the, the order of the people. The prophet spoke God's words to the people, okay? The priest's primary responsibility was to intercede for the people before the Lord. The priest's primary responsibility was to make sure that sacrifices were offered from the people to the Lord so that they could have access to God through the shed blood of these animals. And the high priest on the day of atonement would go into the most holy place in all of the temple. So you have the temple and inside the temple, you've heard this, this spoken of, you have the holy of holies. This, this room inside the temple where the ark of the covenant of God was kept. Now, what you might not fully appreciate all the time is that the ark of the covenant represented the throne of God. Right? So if you can imagine, it was carried on poles. It wasn't carried by ox cart. It was carried on poles. And carried on poles is the exact same way that a king or, an, or other person of royalty in the ancient world would have been carried somewhere. They would have been carried on what they would call litter, right? And so that litter or even the throne would be, would be hoisted on poles. There would be men who would put those poles on their shoulders and they would carry them. And the king or the queen or other royal person would be seated upon this throne or upon this litter. And the men would carry that on those poles. As the men of Israel, as the priests... And the Levites, or the Levites really, as they carried the throne of God, the Ark of the Covenant, they carried it through, and all the ancient world would have understood that the throne of God is moving ahead. The very presence of God is represented by that Ark. Once a year, the priest, the high priest, would go into the Holy of Holies, the very holiest place in all of Judaism. And in that place, he would take some blood from the most important sacrifice that's given on the Day of Atonement. And he would offer that blood, he would sprinkle that blood upon the altar of God. He would go in and he would atone for the sins of the people in the Holy of Holies. Now, only one person one time a year was allowed into that place. And he was allowed into that place for one person. That purpose was to make peace between the people of Israel and their God. The Bible says that Jesus is our great high priest. He is not like those other high priests, though, because he did not bring about peace with God through the sacrifice of the blood of goats and bulls. Instead, what we know is that he gave his very own life. Now, the Bible teaches us that when Jesus died on Golgotha's hill on Good Friday, that many things happened. But one of the most important things that happened, that almost is a footnote in Scripture, is that the veil in the temple that separated the rest of the temple from the Holy of Holies, that big, thick curtain was split, rent in two, I believe as the KJV says, from top to bottom. 
No one grabbed it at the bottom and split it. Somebody grabbed it from the top and tore it. And when that veil was split, do you understand what happened? Suddenly, access to the throne of God was thrown open wide for all who would come. Jesus is our great high priest. And as our great high priest who has made the final atonement for the sins of all mankind, Jesus Christ has made it possible for us to not only draw near to the throne of grace, but to draw near with confidence. Confidence not in my righteousness, confidence not in myself or what I can do, but confidence in the shed blood of Jesus that has opened up a pathway for me and you and all who will call upon the name of the Lord have access to the very throne room of God. Why? That we may receive mercy and find grace and help in a time of need. How can you be confident? Because Jesus Christ has made a way. Y'all, the world can be a scary place, but you need not fear because Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. But there's one thing as we begin to draw these things to a close. There's one thing that, 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 that jumped out to me, really not until this morning. That's one reason why I'm always glad to get in early and wrestle through my sermon again, because sometimes the Lord shows me something that I've missed all week before. Sometimes there's, there's, there's a temptation for me and, and for many of you, but for me, I'm just going to talk about me, uh, to, to, to sort of um, fall over from just my conservative approach to God's Word to a legalistic understanding of God's Word, and even a fundamentalist understanding of God's Word. Um, and and, and my, my, my favorite definition for fundamental is this there's very little fun, a whole lot of damn, and not much mental. You like that? It's pretty good. You can, I didn't, it's not mine, but you know, you can use it if you'd like to. And sometimes, if we're not careful, we can use God's Word not as an instrument of love and grace to bring people in, but as a, as, as a tool to bludgeon those people who disagree with us. And so when I, when I come to this word and I, say, and, I, and I urge, do not fear. The first place I want to run to is Jesus' reminder that we shouldn't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow has enough worries of its own. And, and I, I, I run to those places and I go, it is sinful for you to live in fear. Greg, how dare you not trust Jesus? And I believe that as, as, as we come to these passages of Scripture and I say, don't be afraid, it's possible that some of you go, oh, well, if I'm afraid, then I must be a failure. And unfortunately, I believe it's possible for even some of us to look around and go, if you are afraid, then you obviously are a failure. And yet God's Word doesn't teach me that. See, I want to encourage you this morning as you draw near in prayer that you do so for this purpose, that you may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. When we run to God in prayer, and we hide our face in the chest of our Heavenly Father who protects and saves. I'm reminded of Isaiah 43 that says this to us in our fears. But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, fear not. 
And folks, I read that and I go, you better stop. But then God doesn't stop there. He says, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you walk through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And the flames shall not consume you. Why? For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. Your Savior, I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you because you are precious in my eyes and honored and I love you. I give men in exchange for you, peoples in exchange for your life. When Jesus spoke to his fearful disciples, he didn't bark orders. He was loving and kind. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? You say, Craig, I hear you say, do not be afraid, but how do I get there? Can I tell you that we serve a God who is loving and kind? Look to Jesus, hold fast to your confession, draw near in prayer. But when all is said and done, lean on Christ. He is enough. Isaiah 43 urges us, Tell, promises that Jesus will be with us. But Isaiah 42 says that when Jesus comes, he will be gentle and kind. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out, it says. And a bruised reed he will not break. Are you fearful today? Maybe you're fearful of a pandemic. I don't know. Maybe you're fearful of the division in our country. I don't know. I had a sweet older lady yesterday say to me and to Angela, we were out walking in our neighborhood. She said, I feel sorry for those of you that have young children right now because I don't know where we're headed. Are you fearful today? Are you afraid? Folks, I want you to know that Jesus is still on his throne, that God is still 100% in control. And in these difficult days when it may seem as though the world is spinning completely out of control, you can look to Jesus. He is our great high priest. You can hold fast to your confession, even when it's hard, even when you don't feel like it. You can draw near in prayer. And let me promise you this, all who call upon the name of the Lord will not only be saved, but will be heard. And then finally, when all else fails, and you're still afraid, you can trust that there is safety in the presence of your king. It's not fun when your kids get older. It is, but it isn't. I mean, when they get older, it's fun because you get to have the inside jokes and they have the responsibility and those things are enjoyable. But as they begin to get a little bit older, you lose some of that superhero status, you know? I, I, I love that, that younger age when they're scared. And, and I say these things to them. They had a bad dream. And they need their daddy. I'm afraid. I say, you're safe because you're with me. And as long as you're in this house, nothing is going to trouble you. And y'all, for young children, that's enough. Can I tell you that as long as you are in the king's house, you're safe. He stands ready 
protect you and to comfort you. He's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. You need not be afraid because Jesus has overcome the world. Today, if you're afraid, let me urge you to run to Jesus. Some of you, though, may be afraid because you've never come to Christ. Perhaps you are rightly afraid because you recognize that your sin has separated you from your God. And if you were to die today, you would not be ushered into the presence of the King. Instead, you would stand judgment for your own sin. Can I invite you today to come to Jesus, to draw near to Christ, to learn this confession of faith, to draw near in prayer and to be saved. If you cry out to Jesus, He will save you, He will forgive you, and He will heal you. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we love you and we praise you. We're thankful that you love us and that you've given us Jesus to save us from our sin. I pray, Lord God, that you be at work among us even as we sing in Christ's name. Amen. If you're with us this morning, whether you're in the sanctuary or in the gym, Pastor Adam's in the gym and I'll be up here at the front, uh, just over here to the side, uh, sort of out of camera view. But if you'd like to be prayed with this morning, we'll still try to maintain some distance. But uh, if you're here this morning and there's any way that we could pray for you or minister to you, please, please let us serve you. Let us care for you. God loves you and we want to love you as well. Let's sing together this morning.